As much as I'm allowed to share here of the Song of Songs by Karen Tanaka from Maya Friedman's album Red Velvet from 2017. Many names there, I know, but see the show notes for details on the music featured in this episode, which is a small glimpse of the music that Maya has recently recorded and released. Maya and I both studied with Dmitri Fertmann in Amsterdam, and while I went undercover as a ninja cellist, Maya went all in as performing cellist and is now incredibly active and sought after and has commissioned many works that she went on to record and perform quicker than most of us mortals managed to order a bow rehair. Just in case your phone runs out of battery before the end of this episode, I'll say straight away that Maya has started a crowdfunding campaign for her new album which goes until July 10th. So take a look at her website or see the link I include in the show notes if you want to support this amazing musician. And now it's time to meet Maya Friedman. So we go to now to official part now, yes. I'm Maya. I am a cellist, performer and researcher. <laughs> I love to work with great adventurous composers who are interested to collaborate with me and to investigate new possibilities together. It's been always uh, really inspiring. Actually, you know what I was thinking recently? It all came from you. I remember a long time ago when you were still studying in Amsterdam Conservatory. Uh-huh. Dmitry Fashman, our professor, just told me once that all compositional department of the conservatory depends on you. What? Because without you, they would have no chance to uh, perform all these works. And I mean, you were performing a lot of contemporary works by those students. And then, yeah, it made me realize how fun is it. And also, I wanted to do something as well like this. <laughs> so you were my inspiration. <laughs> Why I'm doing what I'm doing, actually. Oh, wow. I had no idea. Well, I must say you are uh, doing pretty well. I think. <laughs> oh wow! Uh, yeah, we studied together in Amsterdam with Dmitri Fershman, and something uh, something I have been struck by every time you perform is how you give me the feeling, at least, that you enter a meditative state and you leave worldly concepts behind. I I assume that many musicians strive for that but find it difficult, much in the same way that meditation can be difficult. How do you how do you approach performance? I think the mental state is extremely important and it has to be trained as well as all the technical or musical aspect of performing. And this is something I've learned over the last um, couple of years, especially because a lot of times when I practice a piece, I, I, 
I feel like when the moment I put my cello down and then I go to meditate in a break just to get my energy back and my focus back, I still feel that's a moment where a lot of insights happen about the piece. And then when I come back to practicing, I try to regain that meditative state. It also helps me to interpret the piece better. And then actually this state of mind I try to bring with me on stage. Because of course the performance itself is something totally different from practicing. But at the same time, from each performance I can learn something. And each time I try to go deeper in this state where I can definitely know what I'm doing or feel every single note, you know, to increase my state of presence. And I cannot say that I sometimes satisfied or not satisfied with some uh, the way how it goes. I know it's just a gradual process of improvement. So, how do you work on that particular improvement? How do you prepare for having this state of mind when you're on stage? Well, that's a very good question. <laughs> of course, it also depends on the music. Let's say I, I, I will, I'm going to perform a piece like La Voce by Louis Anderson, in which the state of mind is, it has to be very calm, reflective, and not as, it has to be also embracing everything that is around, embracing the space around me. So I will try to find a different circumstances for practicing when I can improvise with the space around me as well, with my perception of the space. But if I practice something quite emotional and in a way technically more challenging that that piece, for example, new piece by Maxim Shaligan that he just wrote for me in the cello octet, then it would be a lot more about uh, sustaining the focus for long periods of time and trying to keep the energy from very first moment I start to perform and then till the end of the piece. How early in the process do you incorporate this way of preparing for the performance? Because you have then, you, you feel the performance in advance of the actual performance and prepare for this particular one. Like you said, with the one you recently did with the cello octet, which is a very long piece. You have to mentally prepare for that. At what point in your preparation do you then incorporate this aspect of preparation? Um, yeah, I'm still, <laughs> I'm still struggling to answer this question, actually, because um, I wish I would know the answer. Honestly, I only started to really work on that one week before the premiere, because a lot of times where I tried to uh, visualize the whole piece from beginning to the end, in the earlier stages, it was just simply not possible. I was too focused with details. And those details and uh, moments of high intensity really had to be worked out extremely well. So only, I guess, uh, one week before the premiere, we started to run through from beginning to the end with all of us. And that was really intense. Also quite tiring. <laughs> how, how do you separate between practice 
and performance. In what sense? Hmm. Do you have a clear idea when you practice? Do you focus on one aspect at a time? Do you uh, practice performing the piece? Uh, do you practice uh, studies? Like, do you break things down? Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's all, every time it's a different process, to be honest, depending on the music. I definitely break things down to smallest bits and try to make a schedule for myself. What is important to practice when? What is the most challenging aspect of the music? Uh, do you have any examples, like any work that you particularly are interested about? No, it was a general question from mm. a curiosity as a fellow cellist. Yeah. I can sometimes be practicing at home and thinking, ah, oh, I wonder how Maya is practicing when she's practicing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I try to make a schedule for myself. And in that schedule, I would make sure that I can play the piece from beginning to the end, but there are some blocks on the day where I'm just focused on particular elements. And also moments of just mental practice, which is super important as well for me. So basically just sitting with the music or visualizing it in my mind, with my eyes closed. Yeah. Or like even trying to write about this piece, you know, just write my ideas. Like if I could make a story of this piece, what it would be like? <laughs> I once tried to do that with a... Uh... Bach movement that I had to play uh, when I was doing my bachelor's degree. At that time, I really hated Bach <laughs> uh, because it all sounded the same, and I just I just didn't like his music at all. I was very rebellious, <laughs> and so I had to, at some point, play some Bach as a part of my study and in an attempt to make it more interesting for myself I wrote a story in the actual sheet music that I was hoping could give me some inspiration it didn't work but it was well worth a, a try anyway I think <laughs> yeah it's very interesting right to come back to play playing Bach or some other classical works for both of us I guess because we both work a lot with contemporary music and it, it's a lot of times a different sort of approach, right? Yeah. Do you play Bach regularly? Not regularly, but some, there are some very special circumstances. <laughs> Actually, <laughs> there's a wonderful day in the Netherlands called Happy Bach Day. Many <laughs> <laughs> years in a row, I played some Bach on that particular day. This time as well, I can send you a YouTube link. It was together with two more contemporary works, and it was super fun to put it just in, in between. Mm. Yeah, it made me very free about playing that particular moment of Bach <laughs> in that setting. I think it's a lot of times about expectation as well, about uh, what you think audience want to hear, you know? Yeah. And if you play one just one moment of Bach or suite in a different setting, and you free yourself from those expectations, I think. Like if you would play Bach in a rock concert, that would be fun, actually. It would sound different. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying these days to put more meaning into Bach 
because uh, with time I uh, managed to appreciate it more. And there is something very satisfying about practicing those sweets. Mm-hmm. And it's really challenging for me to make it convey something, to not just play the notes and try to get them in tune and rhythmical and even to phrase, but to actually have something more to it. Yeah. I feel you are extremely good at tapping into this ability to make the listener feel like there is something behind the music that you are conveying emotions or Mm. you know you have a message always you never just play some notes (laughs) that's good to hear thank you you are welcome (laughs) at the same time like (laughs) when i play Bach, it's for me it's most of all about enjoyment of the sound it's so great to come back to this peacefulness of this music and to really go deep in the cello sound you know and in this way, it's not even what is behind the nose, but what is in the nose. Just going completely in the now. While in some other pieces, it definitely is something where I'm going somewhere else. <laughs> <laughs> or, well, I don't know where I'm going. <laughs> <laughs> you are incredibly productive. You are performing new compositions, participating in various projects, recording albums, memorizing a lot of repertoire in the process. You are generously sharing regularly on Facebook and Instagram, and you are doing a photo project with your husband, Brendan Heist. And you're probably also doing other things that I'm not aware of. <laughs> so how do you how do you plan and structure your everyday life so that there is time and energy for everything you want to do? I'm extremely chaotic. I don't have any good advice for anyone because honestly, if I'm focused on one thing, it's very hard for me to switch to something else. It's like obsession. If I'm at the moment obsessed with practicing um, new piece, I, I find it extremely hard to just stop and go doing something else. And I'm really trying that. I'm really trying my best to follow the schedule I create for myself, but a lot of times I feel extremely disappointed. <laughs> but I guess in this constant struggle and fight with myself, I'm still getting somewhere. So it's it's good to hear that it looks like I'm structured. But I'm not. <laughs> well, I, I remember you as maybe being a little chaotic. Yes, that's true. But <laughs> I can't prove that much. <laughs> <laughs> but you anyway managed to get a lot of things done. So uh, behind mm-hmm. this uh, chaos, there must be some structure. I think it's also mostly my ambition because I, I do have. A feeling that I just need to do make things done, and it has to be done on time. I hate to be late, or yeah, not in time for the deadlines I set for myself. So there is always kind of pressure, and that pressure helps me to get this discipline. <laughs> it's not always the most positive thing ever, but I guess um, always having deadlines helps me to to stay focused. 
So yes, as you can see, I have some little help here. I have uh, objects at home that, that remind me that I need to work. Of course, my instrument, but I place some notes everywhere what I need to do. I have some people that reminds me what I need to do sometimes. <laughs> okay. That helps. Apart from playing your instrument, what do you need to do? I just um, got admitted for a PhD program, so I can start on my research. It will involve a lot of uh, studying. It's definitely something that I would have to spend a lot, a lot of time just reading, analyzing, and future writing as well. And also I need to write some proposals and motivations for new programs because I have a lot of ideas and would love to start new collaborations and I have a lot of ideas in my head what I like to do so I just need to yeah formulate my vision. How does your day look like? Do you have a routine or what you do first thing in the morning and then what do you how it progresses? Yeah I kind of have but I <laughs> I don't follow that quite well. <laughs> If everything goes well, I start my day with uh, running and doing some sports and yoga around eight o'clock in the morning. Then quickly have breakfast and then go straight to practicing. Because for me, practicing in the morning is just the best. Let's say from 10 till 1. And then I can do some break and in the middle I do some emails, uh, writing, researching and then let's say I would continue to practice from four till seven or eight this would be my ideal day but you know with being quite obsessive if I start practicing sometimes I just cannot stop <laughs> and then the other days I just have to catch up with everything else I have to do <laughs> but yeah are you earning a living as a musician yeah definitely Of course, it's not just playing concert, but also a bit of teaching and doing some uh, session work. Yeah. So you have some cello students? Yeah, I have you. And you're an artist in residence? Yeah, I was just extremely lucky to, to be artist in residence by Theodore Fredenberg this season. And even though the concerts couldn't go through as they were planned with audience, there were still a lot of live streams It gave me opportunity to learn to learn a lot from just looking back at those videos and analyzing my playing. And it still felt like I'm playing for the audience, of course. Yeah. I can't uh, resist asking uh, something more cello-specific again. Are there any aspects of uh, being a cellist that you are currently aiming to change or improve? Huh. I'm really curious... Uh, Where did your question come from? In a way, there are definitely things that I'm always uh, improving and want to change even more. It's my posture. It's an ongoing process of yeah, adjustment, I would say, or improvement. But apart from that, I'm not sure. Could you please tell me a little bit more about your question? I think it came <laughs> to me the other day when I was thinking about what to ask you and just having a curiosity of like if you are completely happy with everything and you are just learning new repertoire or uh, if there are some general things 
that you are working on? Because I find it interesting. It's just that. I think what I'm always trying to, to do to become is to be more than a cellist. It's something that I'm... It's hard to pinpoint. I think it's my just inner urge to to expand myself and not feel limited by just my instrument. Even though cello is my second self, but still it's just a tool, you know? As well as my voice or um, my mind. <laughs> mm. So I'm trying to see where I could develop myself further. For example, as a researcher or a teacher or maker, I would love to develop myself more as artistic director of some projects to communicate my vision clearer and to work directly with uh, dancers and actors, filmmakers, you know. <laughs> mm. How are you working on this? Yeah, it involves a lot of research and also a lot of um, discussions with my friends, who, who are uh, a lot of them are great artists. They help me to to see uh, broader than I'm used to, and just uh, a lot of times I have some ideas, and I love to brainstorm with them and see where I could uh, formulate it more clear and how I can actually materialize the idea. do you see in using social media as a musician? I think without social media it would be very hard for us at the moment. Don't you think? Yeah, it's uh, pretty much the only place we can be seen these days. Exactly. And as much as I feel that it takes too much time sometimes, I still feel it's a very good tool where we can also um, show what we are doing, right? And make others interested in what we are doing. This way it's very valuable. Do you feel it's working for you? Yeah, I'm discovering a lot of new artists <laughs> via social media. It's great. So connecting with new composers, it's really inspiring. <laughs> How about you? I think it's uh, a bit too early to say because I haven't been uh, building a following for myself or I haven't really been active mm. for more than a few months only. Uh, so I'm uh, right now at the point of uh, having a why not attitude mm -hmm. and to see what could potentially work somehow. I don't have the luxury of um, being more discriminating mm. uh, at the moment. <laughs> And uh, it can be hard to make the effort sometimes because uh, it feels like a huge world. And I would prefer to not have much to do with it. But also, especially these days, of course, I see that there can be something 
useful in it. Yeah, exactly. We can use it as a way to connect and to share what we really love. And the world doesn't have to be all big, actually. You can make it as small as you want. <laughs> or as big as you want. Several years ago already, uh, we took part in a goddess procession mm -hmm. in Amsterdam. And I'd love it if you would like to say something about your interest in ritual and the spiritual and what place this has in your life. <laughs> I'm just busy at the moment with my uh, rituals project. Uh, rituals is the uh, name of my concert program. I did it for the Cello Binale. And I'm still preparing to perform it even more in next season. And uh, I will record it, the whole program in July already for my next album. For me, ritual is not just a way of uh, performing. It's a, a way I can uh, connect with the world. So I can say it's a playful way of connecting with the world. It's a possibility of projecting my ideas into the rea reality around me and approach it as a performer. <laughs> I can, in the moment of performance, populate the space with my imagination, imag imaginative creatures or stories and ritual can become a very safe space to do that. Of course the word itself has a lot of connotations and can be uh, can, can mean a lot of things but for me it's mostly about my way of expressing myself. Do you want to say something about your uh, ritual project that you will record? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thank you for asking. Well, at first, I I just wanted to say that I'm super grateful for uh, to work with all those composers who wrote the pieces for that program. Those uh, Karen Tanaka, Fiola Evans, Saskia Vengas, Kavavaras, and some other composers. With all of them, I discussed the concept quite a lot, and we tried to find some common ground. What ritual? could mean for them or for me and which is each single piece we came up to some other stories for example the composition by Saskia Venegas is about the priestess Medusa and the composition starts in the moment where the priestess is just praying for, to the goddess and the horrible event that will transform her into the monster it didn't happen yet Will happen later. So she is just busy with this ritual of invocation, which is very similar to what I always experience in music. So that's the whole theme for that piece. And there are also the composition by Karen Tanaka, which also refers to the image of the goddess very beautifully. But each of those works approaches the theme in a different way with a different mythology. Just find very interesting to combine in one album. Exciting. Yeah. And you have already I I've lost track of how many albums you have now. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> <laughs> I think around seven, if I'm not mistaken. Well the first was uh, the Invisible Link with the works of Schnitzke, Arvopart and Padres Vasks, The Fire Angel, 
my arrangement of Prokofiev, Red Velvet, my first real solo solo album. <laughs> Can't see the new Tulefini by Maxim Shalagin. Oh god, what's next? Uh, of course, there was also Elegies, wonderful jazz musicians. Um, we just released my album with Konstantina Polov and Helena Vasilova, Obscure Atlas. It's trio with percussion, cello, and piano. Something quite different. Also, just finished editing the album with Marion Fonsilza, great composer who wrote the pieces inspired by I Ching, Book of Changes. Mm. Um, yeah. So that's actually going to be released already in July. How involved are you in the editing process? We are just checking the very last things, like artwork, booklet. The music seems to be completely finished, actually. But it's quite exciting because uh, it's not yet sent to to the pressing plant. So yeah, a little bit <laughs> anxious whether everything is in order, of course. <laughs> Do you have any other interests? besides your uh, cello projects and your PhD, of course. I just love to read books. I read a lot, and I love some particular books. For example, His Dark Materials by Philip Pullman. It's a great book with a lot of great philosophy in it. Deeply motivating and inspiring. And what about you? I guess this uh, po- this podcast is uh, another interest that uh, came as a surprise <laughs> uh, for me. And it's super fun. I really love to edit. So when I when I talk to you now, I will convert the file into an MP3 so that my Windows computer can use it in Ableton and then I will add maybe some audio files of your mm. music and then I will put things together and it's really a lot of fun. It's uh, already been quite a learning process. In the beginning, uh, everything was new, but uh, luckily it seems to get better. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. Honestly, I feel it's, it's a really good thing I would love to learn as well. Every time I talk with composers and or fellow musicians, I feel there's so much wisdom that they convey. And I wish I could also capture that, but I'm not so I'm, I'm not so good with, with it yet. So maybe in future I will also do some podcasts, yeah. <laughs> and then I will ask you <laughs> the Maya Friedman podcast, <laughs> Maya and Round Hill podcast. <laughs> And I'm also very much into yoga. Mm. I don't uh, do it every day, but lately I've had the time to do it uh, more often than before. And it makes such a difference in my life. Mm. Do you feel it can help your uh, posture? Definitely. I don't do everything, but I mean, the yoga sets can be quite long. I just do some stretchings that really help me. And basically, it's part of my practicing routine. You said you wanted to improve your posture when you play. 
Yes, it comes every single time. Every single concert, I feel like, okay, well, why am I still dancing on that particular passage, you know? Uh, like, why is my shoulder goes up every single time I'm stressed? Those kind of things. I think it's uh, stress management and ability to relax whenever I need it because every single time it's I'm, uh, for example, too much in the music and I forget to watch my posture. Some things just shift and it's unconscious. Mm. But then takes a lot of time to get the right posture back, you know? Yeah, I find that if I find a good posture and a good breathing, then I can't be as present in the actual music. Um, I think it has to be both. Because with a wrong posture, you cannot achieve a lot musically. I mean, if you are too tensed with your left hand, you cannot do a nice vibrato, or you just end up hurting yourself. So then you have to watch that your shoulders are on the same level or that you don't bend your back strange ways, sitting comfortably on your chair. And, of course, those things have to happen during practicing. It's not that you have to think about it during the concert. <laughs> mm. What uh, does it mean for you to be a musician? I think it just just means for me to be myself. <laughs> I cannot imagine myself being anyone else. But I guess the same for you. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Was there a time in your life when it changed? Like, do you have a before and after? Like there was a time when you wasn't yet identified with being a musician and then something happened? Or has it just always been there? Oh, there was one period in my life where it was slightly different. It was only because of the injuries that I had from um, overplaying and only lasted for about a year. I just uh, I practiced too much and obviously not in a healthy way. So at some point uh, I had to stop for years since I couldn't play and did a lot of treatments. But there was a lot of doubt doubts whether I could continue or not. Uh, and at that point, I was trying to figure out who I am besides a cellist and besides being a musician. And that was actually a quite a good moment for me to do that. It's good to develop yourself as a person as well. And I didn't think about it earlier. So in a way, it helped me, it helped me to get a perspective, you know, perspective for life and who I am besides what I'm doing. Does it still stay with you, this insight that you had? Absolutely. Yeah, it never goes away. But, well, to be honest, sometimes when I'm so engaged in the project I'm doing, I cannot split myself anymore. I, I'm only obsessed with, uh, <laughs> uh, with those particular pieces and it's hard to think that there is life after the concert. <laughs> but those just um, periods.
So what uh, inspires you or uh, who are you inspired by? Any particular artists or philosophers? Or I'm very much inspired by Giovanni Solima. Oh, right. The Italian cellist. Yeah, composer. His uh, personality is just incredible. He can achieve a lot of things in one day. It's through the amazing composers and he performs so much. And I'm also very inspired, much inspired by Marina Abramovic. Ah, oh, yeah. How does uh, Abramovic uh, inspire you? I read her book, Walk Through Walls, and that was really, um, yeah, it was in a period where I basically needed some push also for myself to see that there is more just than just playing music by other composers, for example. It's also just about yourself being art or anything that can be an art. And in a way, how she phrased it, her transition from being a painter to being a performer is quite amazing. Also, the way she trained herself for those long hours performance performances, it's, it's very inspiring. What she does requires a lot of uh, strength and resilience. Yeah. So for me as a performer, I can really learn a lot. Mm. Dedication. Yeah, and also just simply focus and faith in the importance of those projects. Mm. I would love to read her book, actually. The book you can easily buy digitally. It's mm. not that long, actually. I would highly recommend I, I uh, borrowed the book from you once, I think. Uh, Paolo Coelho. Oh, yeah. The Witch of Portobello. Yeah, exactly. It's <laughs> a long time ago. Yeah. You got uh, married since then. <laughs> and you had uh, very inspiring, interesting adventures in Norway, where you lived in the very north of the country, almost alone in a village. I remember you writing that you were the only cellist in that village. Oh, in the municipality. Yeah. Yeah. And that you were practicing Bach suites there. And I, I was imagining that, and it was quite amazing. <laughs> An image of you in a white space, covered with snow, some just sparse houses, and you just playing cello, mm-hmm. and you hear the sounds all over. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think it was in that place I learned to appreciate Bach because no one else were playing the Bach cello suites because there were no other cellists there. <laughs> and then yeah. and then there was space for it all of a sudden. You know, then okay, I can be the one playing that then. Uh, that's fine. <laughs> yeah, I think I need that space sometimes. But I really would love to find one since the space of course, it's not just about the space outside, it's space inside. But Oh, there was something I was thinking about today when I was uh, I was practicing. And then I felt curious about to ask you, because uh, it feels so different to play the cello at different times of day and from day to day. And that uh, once in a while, I feel 
so much in control and I feel, okay, I'm going to perform this piece and it's going to sound great because now I'm playing it so well. And then the next day, the control is diminished. And of course, it's been like this all all the time for as long as I can remember. I think it's fairly common. Uh, so I've learned that I can't press the save button on any of these versions so when aiming to actually perform a piece I yeah I'm just curious how to best actually prepare for that because the situation of the actual performance is always unpredictable I never know how much in control I will feel right then and there you know sometimes I feel like I can't hold my bow yeah or uh that uh, my left hand is is uh, not that comfortable in the higher positions or something like that. True, but that's why I think it's so important to practice in a very mindful way and um, to not observe how you feel your uh, how your muscles feel. It's because it's all about just um, physical condition, right? Basically. Practice and cello is the same as doing any other kind of sport. One day when you do yoga, for example, you feel totally flexible and some other day not. But you can always observe the progress you make, right? And some days it will still feel like a step back, but still you're slowly getting more mindful about your posture, about how you breathe while you play. And then it just forms a habit which you can bring with you on stage. And definitely on stage... It's not the same as practicing because you always get more adrenaline. But you have the strategies then where you can imply like uh, breathing slow or the way you can slow down your heartbeat. Those things you develop is just uh, practicing from day to day and work on the same things. So it's a very interesting question that I'm constantly busy with myself because for me... Of course, it's very important to be always in good shape when I'm performing. And to get to that shape, I I have to be strict with myself a lot of times. Not to practice too much or go to sleep t- too late. Hmm. Or <laughs> I should stretch enough or warm up enough before actually going to practice. So I'm, I always have to feel well in my body before I start practicing. And it's, of course, you cannot always control those those things but you can try to modify them tiny bit and even slightest um, modification can have some effect how do you warm up Uh, on the cello i mean i wouldn't say on the cello of course we as a cellist always learn scales and some technical studies but honestly i don't do them (laughs) (laughs) i shouldn't confess on that but that's the truth i am for me warming up is basically doing all those stretchings or running around feeling that, well, it's what dancers do, for example, before uh, performing as well. And the exercises you can develop or design for yourself. It doesn't really matter what you're doing. Most important that you are feel completely flexible in your muscles. And then when you sit behind the instrument, you feel like that's the moment you are ready to play. And then, of course, there are some things you can start to get yourself in focus. Like, let's say you start with the easiest passage 
to just get in this mindset. And then you work yourself to your highest point of concentration. Where can people find you and listen to your music? Um, I think all digital platforms, Spotify, iTunes, Native DSD, and also Bandcamp page where I have my albums. Are you looking for uh, anyone to collaborate with or more students? I'm always open to for collaborations. I don't have any particular thought in mind, but I think right projects will just come my way. <laughs> and with the students, I'm not particularly looking to have more students, but I guess it will just happen at some point. <laughs> Thank you for listening. See the show notes for info about where you can purchase Maya's albums and follow her on Instagram if you want to witness some superhuman productivity. For any comments to me, my email address is in the show notes and on my website ragnilvesenberg.com or find this podcast on Instagram.